Father, how we thank you for grace, your grace, the wonderful grace, the grace that comes to us through Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd search our hearts today as we look at grace and what it means and what it means for us to be able to embrace that grace that you're longing to bring into our lives. Father, you know each one of us in this room. You know each one of us who are watching online. And you know, God, the places that you long to pour your grace into our lives. And you also know, Lord, the places where we've put up walls and defenses that actually push your grace away from us. And God, how that, how that brings harm to us and to your body. So God, speak into our lives this wonderful grace that we just spoke of, that we could go from this place different because we've had an encounter with Almighty God. So speak, Lord. Your children are listening. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated even as I release the kids through grade four. It's so good that you're able to be with us either in the room or online. We're glad that you're able to join us. We're continuing our look at uh, living by faith and what that means and uh, continuing to look at this idea of worship plus two. And uh, we've been focused on, on worship plus two as it relates to two guys and a TV. It'll work. <laughs> All right. Are we good? Um, there we go. Okay. The V means victory or something like that. I don't know. Well, today we're going to be looking at Romans 12. We've been looking at it for the past couple, three weeks, and we're going to continue in that. And even as we do that, we're looking at the idea of worship plus two. So what does it mean for us to come to a place where we're able to worship God, and as we worship God, that draws us into a desire to be able to grow more and more into the people that he's designed for us to be, and then as we grow, how does that move us into a heart that longs to serve? And so we're looking at this and uh, helping us to see that in Romans 12, one through eight. And so I'm going to read that. I don't have it on the screen for you, but I would encourage you to turn in your copy of God's Word or if you're following along on the Bible app and as you're, pu as you're pulling up Romans 12, um, I'd like to just welcome you at home. Thank you for joining us. We're so grateful that you're able to do that. I know I get some emails from you and I love getting those if you'd like to send those because we do miss you. And uh, so it's good to hear what's happening in your lives and what's going on. But we're grateful that you're able to join us online. We're looking forward to that day when, uh, when it's, you're at a place where you feel safe enough to come back or, or not compromised. And so we're grateful that we're able to send this out over the airways as well. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. For by grace given me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, 
are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one uh, who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Romans 12, 1 through 8, and we've looked at this already over the past few weeks, and we've looked at the fact that Romans 1 through 11, Paul is helping this church in Rome and God by by preserving this text that he inspired has brought it to us as well, the gospel, and so the truth of the gospel and the doctrine that's involved in that. Paul does a great job of that in the first 11 chapters of Romans, and then when he comes to chapter 12, he says, what do we do with this? What do we do with this truth? And so my prayer is that as I'm talking to you, that each one of you have come to a place where you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, and you've come to a place where you've realized that your sin has separated you from God, and you need to exchange your life of sin for his life of righteousness, and you turn to God and ask him to forgive you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and that you've come to a place where you've understood and know that you could be born again, that you can be right with God, that his righteousness could be credited to your account. And so because of that, and my prayer is that each one of you have done that, if you haven't, please don't leave here today without talking to the person next to you about that. If the person next to you doesn't know about it, both of you come up and see me, and we'll make sure that we take care of that. But as that comes into our lives, that's called grace. That grace comes into our lives. And when that happens, it changes us. We become different people, new people. And so Paul, in these final chapters of Romans, is helping them understand this is how you live differently because of who you are in Christ. And so as we've looked at it, we've looked at this worship idea, and we looked in Revelation and and what worship looks like as we come into the presence of God, and we've looked at what does it mean to be able to start to grow. And today, we're going to look at celebrating unity in diversity. And this is actually part one of the idea of what does it mean to serve. And what it means to serve is to realize that we're part of one body, the body of Christ. And as that one body, we're each different. And so there's this idea of diversity, but this idea of unity. Now, we live in a day and age where diversity is all around us. And it causes all sorts of responses and reactions. And today we're going to look at what diversity in the body of Christ looks like and the kind of reaction we can have to that as we live biblically, as we live according to what God has designed for us to live. So celebrating unity in diversity. The first thing, or the main thing we're going to see is that our unity is strengthened by a healthy view of ourselves in Christ. Our unity is strengthened as we have a healthy view of ourselves, but that view has to be grounded in Christ, okay? Because apart from Christ, we can't have an adequate view of ourselves. Apart from Christ, we'll have an inflated or a deflated view of ourselves, Maybe some of you have seen The Greatest Showman. 
the movie that was out. And, and in that movie, through all sorts of things, it comes to the end, and there's this big song that's sung. And it's sung by, by a, a cast of misfits who've been put out by society. And in that song, they talk about knowing what it means to be put out, but they're not going to embrace that any longer. They're just going to stand, this is me. So accept me because this is who I am. This is me. And to a degree, and in some ways, that's what we're talking about today. But in some ways, it's completely different than what we're talking about today. Because you see, in some ways, I can wear this as me as an allowance to be whoever I want to be, autonomous from whoever the creator has made me to be, and everybody needs to accept that. And there's a truth to that. But there's a deeper, richer truth in discovering who God has made you to be. And to be able to say, this is me. This is who God has made me. And it's at that moment in time you find the richness that God is longing to bring into each of our lives. And so Paul, as he's talking to them, he begins by saying that we are the recipients of grace. We are the recipients of grace. And we see that when he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, we're just looking at this one verse today, Romans 12, 3, and he starts it by saying, for the grace given to me. Now, grace is one of those words that we use a lot. And I don't believe that we understand the depth of the meaning of grace. And I don't believe that we understand the depth of what grace can do in our lives and in the lives of the world in which we live. And so as Paul starts out, and he starts by proclaiming, for the grace given to me. Paul in Philippians 3, he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, blameless under the law. Paul's like, I am all that and a bag of chips. All right? Anybody know what that means? Okay, Google it. All right, not now, later. Do it now, it's okay. So Paul says, I've got this. I, I have all of this. I have personally and passionately pursued rightness with God. I have done whatever I could to be right before God. But then something happened to Paul. God met Paul. Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus. And in this amazing, miraculous moment in time, Jesus revealed to Paul that all of the things he was doing to be right before him were not doing any good at all. As a matter of fact, they were actually destroying what God was doing. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Why are you harming my body? Why are you trying so hard to be right that in essence you're destroying what I'm doing? And Paul, only because of the grace of God, was rescued and ransomed. And, and he was brought from that and he realizes and he goes on to say, I don't want a righteousness of my own. I consider all of that loss in order that I could have a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. You see, and so Paul, as he says, for the grace given to me, he understands what it means to be rescued from absolutely opposing God. He knows what it means to be rescued from standing against God, feeling as though he was doing the right thing for God. He, he realizes that he was rescued from his own rightness and brought into the rightness of God. And as he, we see this in his life, we realize that that's the same thing in our lives. See, maybe you didn't get some blinding light on the road to Damascus. But if you've come to a place in your life where, where you've been rescued by Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, if that's come into your life, that is a miracle. You see, that is a miracle. And it is the grace of God. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. See, the things that you did prior to that moment in time, the things that you did were opposed to God as an enemy of God, and you deserved to be separated from God. But his grace poured into your life, miraculously revealed to you that you needed to be with God. And that apart, apart from Christ, there was no way you could be with God. And so Paul says, listen, I want to talk to you, church. I want to talk to you. And I want to say by the grace that I've been given, that everyone among you needs to be aware. And you need to be aware of this. We are not all we think we are. We are not all we think we are. All right, he says... For by the grace given to me, I say to you, to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Now this is a powerful, powerful phrase. I've really been pondering this. This idea of pride and how this pride in my life, you see, pride is the root of sin, and, and this pride in my life dies so hard. And, and so as we look at this, we see this, this idea of celebrating unity in diversity. If I'm going to celebrate this unity in diversity, I need to be able to step away from the pride in my life because I have to be able to see that pride opposes grace. Pride opposes grace. Jonah, from the belly of the fish, cries out and says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. See, there's a way that you can forfeit the grace of God. Pride opposes grace. But grace, you see, opposes pride. So the grace of God is constantly being poured down from heaven, and it's constantly being poured into and to your 
your life with your ability to grasp onto it. But if you choose to cling to worthless idols, you'll, you'll forfeit that grace. And see, as I put away pride, then I'm able to celebrate this diversity. Now, when we think of diversity, what we need to remember is what we're speaking of when we speak of diversity is uniqueness. Right? Diversity really is about uniqueness. Do you know that I have never met another person like you? Never met a person like you. I've never... There is no one like you. Each one of us is unique. Each one of us has been created specially and uniquely. And that's amazing, but it presents a problem. Because clearly, none of you think correctly because you don't think like me. Right? That diversity is wonderful. But it causes for chaos and, and for conflict. And, and all of these things come because of this uniqueness. But what we need to do, and as we, as we grab hold of the grace of God, and as we take hold of that, and we begin to apply it to our lives, and we look at this uniqueness that's there, then what happens is we begin to celebrate that uniqueness. And we begin to see the specialness. Because you see the uniqueness that you have in the same way that we're all special and we're all unique and we're all diverse, we're all the same in that we each bear the image of God. See, each one of us is an image bearer. Now the image is marred because of sin and we've talked about that in the past, that defilement that has come into our lives. But, but as we look at that and we understand this this unbelievable truth that every person you meet is an image bearer of God. And every person you meet is unique and not like anyone else. And both of these things are true. And the struggle comes when we try to embrace those things. And Paul says, listen, the very first thing that needs to happen is you have to have a healthy view of yourself. There's no place for pride and no place for degradation because we're not all that we think we are. So how does that play out in your life? How does it play out in your life? There's a website I found. It's called Truth or Tradition. And it says this, the middle of pride is always I. On the left side of pride, which we're used to, is personal reputation, PR, personal reputation. I, on the other side, is devalued estimation. Devalued estimation, false humility, which is actually pride. And so you see, when, we, when we're looking at what does it mean not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, in one regard, it's thinking that we're so much better than everyone, and on the other regard, it's thinking that we're so much worse than everyone, because that's actually pride as well. See, in my, in my prideful self that part that I'm constantly working to put to death, that 
prideful self, I'm, I'm better than you. Or I'm not as good as you, depending on the day. Because some days I get filled with shame because I've spent the day before thinking I'm better than everybody else, so then I feel all the shame. And I, you know, and, and so there's this cycle, right, that we go through? Do you? In Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. In verse 9. Jesus told this parable to some who were trusting, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all I have to get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat on his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? Have you ever prayed that prayer, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, not like other people? Have you ever thought that to yourself? God, I thank you that I'm not like that person. See, have you ever thought of yourself more highly than you ought? I've really been pondering that this week. See, if I understand what it means to be a recipient of God's grace, I begin to get a healthy view of myself, and I begin to see that I'm not all that I think I am. Is there anybody you think you're better than? Is there anybody when these Pharisees were amazing individuals? Paul was one of these Pharisees. He talks a little bit about what he went through to be right before God. He was desperately trying to be right before God. These Pharisees were earnestly and honestly seeking to be right before God. And in so doing, they were able to to point out clearly all the people who weren't right with God and pray and thank God they weren't like them. And if we're not careful, that happens to us. And we begin to look at other people in the world and think that somehow we're better than them because God rescued us. Like somehow we're better than that politician or we're better than that media person or we're better than, than that person who, who is doing whatever it is that's different than what we do. And we can say, God, I am so grateful that I'm not like that. And we begin to think we're much more than we actually are. A rich young ruler asked him, Luke chapter 18, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, I've done this since my youth. And Jesus heard this. He said, One thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Do you think of yourself more highly than you ought? See, to come to Jesus is to trade everything. It's to exchange your life of sin for his life of righteousness. It's to exchange your control of your life for his control of your life. It's to come to him and to throw yourself and beg for his mercy, in essence, and and take the showering of his grace. And so as you do that, he says to you, put off everything that you were holding on to, all those idols that would keep you from embracing my grace. And as he said to this rich man, this is your idol. You need to put this off. And the rich man said, I can't do that. I'll reject your grace. My pride will choose to reject your grace. And so what is there in your life? What is there in your life that maybe you're holding on to? And maybe it's the way you look at something or maybe it's the way you see something. And you know it's not what God has designed or what God has in mind, but you're holding on to that and you think that somehow you can still hold on to the grace of God. He entered into Jericho and was passing through and behold, a man named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. We're in Luke 19. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay in your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. On the way to Jericho, he, he drew near Luke 18.35, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Hearing the crowd go by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought. And when he came near, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, let me recover my sight. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. The reason it's so important for us to not have a higher view of ourselves than we should is because we are turning people away from Jesus when we do that. We cannot judge people to Jesus. We cannot judge people to Jesus. And when we think we're better, then what we do is we we look down. C.S. Lewis says, Proud people are always looking down on people and things, and of course, when you're looking down, you can't see what's above you. 
And in both of these situations, the people in the crowd were saying, don't go talk to that person. That person doesn't deserve to have you. And when we begin to think we're better than people, we begin to think they don't need Christ. And we lead people away from him instead of toward him just because of the opinion we have of ourselves. But not only does this relate to us being inflated in our opinion of other people, but it, it relates in this devalued opinion we have of ourselves as well. Jesus met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, in John chapter 4. And he said, go get your husband. It was amazing Jesus was talking to her at all. She was a Samaritan woman. She was in the well in the middle of the day. She was a woman with a past. She knew that a Jewish rabbi would view her as scum. She knew that a a Jewish rabbi would never drink from the cup that was owned by a Samaritan, and yet this man asked her for a drink from her cup. I don't have a husband, she said. You're right, Jesus said. She ran into town when she got done talking to Jesus, and she said, This man knew everything about me. Could he be the Messiah? See, there are people all around us who feel like everything they've done has made them unworthy of God. They've made choices in their lives that make them feel unwanted. They feel shame. Maybe you're one of those. I know I have been. In my life, I felt like I deserved less It's this false humility. You know, you struggle with depression, and so you feel you're not a real Christian. You have trouble in your marriage, and so you feel you don't have good faith. You you lose your job. You you end up with less money than you need to pay the bills, and, and maybe you get a gambling problem. Maybe you get caught in pornography, whatever it may be, and you think somehow that you're not worthy of God's love anymore. And you think there's no way that Jesus would look at you and love you because you think that you're not worth anything. See, you are. You are uniquely created to bear the image of God. And the grace of God pours into our lives so that the grace of God can pour through our lives, so that the people who are wrestling with those feelings can be impacted by the truth. Because you see, our, strength, our unity is strengthened by our healthy view. We're the recipients of grace. We are not all that we think we are, but we are much more than we think we are. See, we are not all that we think we are. We are much more than we think we are. And Paul goes on to say, listen, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Think of yourself with sober judgment. See, this is what the renewed mind lets you do. 
The renewed mind lets you see yourself with sober judgment. It lets you think of yourself in a sane fashion. You are able to see yourself the way that God sees you. And there's so many, so many of these things where we begin to see how does God see us. In Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. You've heard this. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took off for a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs which for a Jewish person would be, oof. And he was, a long, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Worthless. He squandered everything. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Then he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. His older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, what does this mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed. And yet you, gave me a, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fattened calf for him, and he said, son, you are always with me and all that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive and is lost, is found. Oh, it's a whole sermon in itself. We get that. But don't miss the fact. You are much more than you think you are. As a child of God, as one who has come to a saving knowledge of Christ, you are so much more than you thought. You are. You are an image bearer of God who has been made right with him, who has received the grace of God in your life so that you could live your life free from sin. 
In John chapter 7, John chapter 8, there's a, an account of a woman caught in adultery. Now, this isn't in the oldest manuscript, so, so it's not believed to be scripture as such, but it is believed to be an accurate account. Early in the morning, he came to the temple, John 8. All the people came to him and sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst and said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. She was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. And so these religious people thought the best idea was to bring her and put her in the midst of a crowd and say, here, she was caught in the act of adultery. And they stood back with stones in their hands. Rightfully ready to throw stones and kill this woman. I am the same as that woman. And so are you. At any given time during this past week, somebody could have grabbed you up in the middle of a sin and they could have brought you and put you right in the middle of here and said, this person has been caught. This person was in the act of viewing web pages they shouldn't have been. This person was in the act of speaking vile things about their spouse. This person. We're no different than this woman caught in adultery. And Jesus, amazing Jesus, marvelous Savior, says to her, you're the same as them, and says to them, you're the same as her. Let the one who doesn't deserve to be standing in the middle there right now cast the first stone. How heavy do you think those stones got? And they were dropped. And the people walked away. And in one of the most amazing illustrations of grace, Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. 
What? You mean Jesus? Not only have you saved me, you've made it possible that I could stop sinning? You mean I can go and not sin? Go and sin no more. Whatever you're caught doing, stop doing it. You've been set free. Have you ever burned your hand? Right? Like you put it on a burner or something, maybe, and, and you're like, oh! And so then you did it again in the afternoon, and then you did it again at night, and then the next morning you did it again, and you just kept doing that because you somehow convinced yourself it felt good? And all along, you're thinking this is what you have to do, and somebody comes and says, you know, you don't have to do that. Really? See, that sin that you have in your life, I don't know what it is for you. You do. You know what God's working on in your life. You, you know the thing that you struggle with. You know the addiction that you have. Maybe you're looking at your screen too much. Maybe you're, maybe you're talking bad about people on social media. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking you're better than people. What, whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing, go and sin no more. Because, you see... You can think of yourself with sober judgment. You can think of yourself with a renewed mind. You are more than you think you are. You are not just some carbon being that's here existing. You are a child of God, uniquely and specially created and designed in his image, bestowed with his grace so that you can extend that grace to other people so that every one of your conversations can be laced with that grace instead of judgment. And so that you can be able to receive grace from other people. See, you begin to see things that people do, and you begin to realize that's grace distributed to you. Even with the masks, you can see the smile in the eyes. That's grace where do you see the beauty of God being brought into your life? And how do you live in the grace instead of in the judgment? And it's hard. It's hard in this world that's been defiled by sin. It's hard in this world where we see constant conversations that tear other people down to be the ones who build people up, to be the ones who say, I don't condemn you either. We don't judge people to Jesus. And when we think we're more than we are, we turn people away from Jesus. And when we don't understand how much we are, we turn people from Jesus. Because if we're caught, defined by the things that have defeated us, the world looks and goes, so what's the difference? You are not defined by the things that have defeated you. And it's not your job to define others by the things that have defeated them. If we're going to be able to celebrate diversity 
And to celebrate this unity that this one body has, first we have to have a healthy understanding of who we are individually. Next week we're going to look at how we need to have a healthy view of others. We need to have a healthy view of ourselves. According to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now that doesn't mean that I have more faith than you have some faith and each one of us, God has a special measuring cup for each one of us and we each get our measure of faith. That's talking about, listen, when I'm looking at myself, I'm looking at myself through the eyes of God, through the faith that he's given me. And, and I'm not looking at myself through how I think I'm better than you or worse than you. or That's not how I measure myself. My measuring rod is the faith of God, the faith that God has given me. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And so this faith that I have is the grace of God. So I look at myself through the grace of God. And I see that I am who I am because of who God is and who he's made me to be. And I begin to see myself in that light. And I begin to see you in that light as well. According to the measure of faith, grace. So what? What steps do I need to take to have a healthier view of who I am in Christ? And how can my healthy view impact my relationship with God and others? Where are you at on this? Do you think you're so much better? You wear a mask so you're better than the guy who doesn't. You don't wear a mask so you're better than the guy who does. That's a really good measuring tool. It happens in silly ways. And it keeps people from Jesus. And it keeps you from grabbing onto the grace of God in the full measure that he longs to bring it into your life. So Lord God, I thank you and praise you for your grace. That grace, Lord, that, that is fueled by your hesed love, that, that love you have that just is unending for us. God, who are we that you would rescue us? Who am I, God, that you would reveal to me Jesus, that you would miraculously rescue me from hell? I deserve hell, God, but you have made me worthy of heaven. Priceless gift, grace. God, forgive us for the times we think we're so much more than we are. And forgive us for the times we think we're so much less than we are. May we have a healthy view of ourselves, Lord, that allows us to to serve you, to worship you, to adore you because of grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found I was blind but now I see God's people said Amen Would you stand here God's good word for you
Oh, Lord God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May you know the grace of God in your life this week and may you shine it through you in miraculous ways as you go into a week of worship, work, and witness. God bless.